The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm the host of this program. We have a Thursday night. It's a Friday. If you're listening to this, that means two shows. The one that goes up early, well, it goes up on YouTube early on Thursday evening is the Pick Show with me, RJ White, and Pete Prisco. And you can download that in the app, in the podcast app right now. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, and this is the Thursday night Super Friends recap. Only a three-man weave this evening. Myself, John Breach, Sean Wagner McGuff, Ryan Wilson away uh, dealing with a personal matter. Gentlemen, we got a uh, pretty, pretty, pretty good Thursday night football game between the Seahawks and the Rams. As dramatic as it comes, 30-29 to 29 the final Seattle over Los Angeles on a Greg Zerline missed 44-yard field goal breach that I know broke your heart. Absolutely broke my heart, man. Greg the leg, I was following him around at the Super Bowl, stalking him because uh, he had that whole ankle thing going. I was on Greg the leg beat, like literally monitoring his leg. And so to see him miss that was – and you really – you cannot miss a field goal closer than he missed that. I mean – I guess well, he, he can. Could, he he could have hit the upright. He could have double doinked it oh, like Barkey. He couldn't have. He couldn't have had a closer miss than. Right, right. He. I mean, that thing missed by about an inch to the right. Yeah. It was uh, like Gordon Bombay and Mighty Duck. Six more inches to the left, and I would have been state champ. He would have won that game. So it was a crazy miss. Sean, do you know what a triple deke is? I have no idea, but but I. Do you know I what the Mighty Ducks the, are? The Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Yeah, of course, but I can't recall details. <laughs> no, the movie, right? Not like yes, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not like like I was a kid. I remember. Yeah, didn't they make more than one? Right? There was like H two H E double hockey sticks or whatever. I remember that was like a thing because we couldn't say the H word back then. You can say hell on this podcast. It's all right. You're going straight to hell, Sean. Uh, I hope you know that. Um, by the way, just some you know uh, interesting. It was a pretty wild gambling night if you were out there and you were betting on football on Thursday night. So, uh, just to mention this briefly, the, uh, do you guys see the end of the ECU game? ECU Temple game, why would you? Uh, ECU is a dog by 11 and a half or 12 points. They go down late. And this is happening at, in like during the fourth quarter of the Seahawks game too, right? So there's madness happening on both TVs. Um, they go down late and score this meaningless touchdown to get, to get within, uh, 10 points, 27-17. And they, they get the ball back 
with 19 seconds left or something like that on a temple punt. Oh, no, they, no, they were covering onsides. That's right. They were covering onsides. And then they do the, the thing where they're you know, running around at the end and this guy tries to do a lateral pass with zero seconds left. Temple scoops it up and sprints in to get the over, the cover, and bust the second half over. And the refs pop on the microphone and goes, uh, forward progress was rolled. Uh, he's down. Game is over. And none of it mattered. And then like 10 seconds later, Zerline lines up for this kick. And remember, the Seahawks were a one and a half or two point favorite at close. So if you bet on the Seahawks, they're up one. And if you bet on the Rams, I mean, like, it, it's just, it, it is so unbelievable how Vegas, Sean, lands this stuff so exact. Like it closes at Seahawks minus one and a half and the Seahawks actually win by one. It's, it, it's insane. Yeah, I wanted nothing to do with this game because if you also look at the history of the Rams versus Seahawks since Sean McVay got there, entering Monday night, or sorry, Thursday night, three of their four games have been decided by six points or fewer. So I I personally couldn't get a read on this game, and it kind of played out exactly like I thought it would in that Russell Wilson, I thought, played as well. You couldn't get a read on the game, but it played out exactly like you thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) It played out exactly in the sense that I don't think you could have predicted it. Um, that any team could have won this game. And Russell Wilson, to me, played as well as a quarterback can play quarterback in the National Football League. I thought he was damn near perfect. Uh, I thought he rescued, at times, the Seahawks' um, terrible run-first game game plan that we see over and over again uh, over the last couple seasons. They passed a lot on first down, though. I'll give him credit for it. And the game for me, it's so even, and it comes down to two pretty much incredible catches that the Seahawks make, one of which is a Tyler, Tyler Lockett catching the end zone off an amazing Russell Wilson throw moving to his left. I have no idea how he made that throw, no idea how Lockett gets his uh, feet down and bounds. And then you go to the other side of the equation. You have Jared Goff throwing a strike to Robert Woods in the end zone in the fourth quarter, and it was an easier catch, and Woods just couldn't get another foot down, a knee in bounds. And that's just, you know, that's just kind of football between two even, evenly matched teams. It comes down to who makes that great catch, and Lockett made it, and Woods didn't. Uh, hold on. Woods caught it. He was just out of bounds, Sean. We should don't make it sound like he dropped it. No, that's or... not a catch. It, he caught the ball. Did he end up with a football in his hands? That is a catch. Was it, it just, a catch it or was count. it not a catch? Here's this the is thing. the most pedantic yeah. argument ever. And you yeah. know what's funny? Well, I'm glad you brought that play up, though, is because I literally did not know the NFL rule was that if they hit simultaneously, it's an incomplete pass. I will, I will plead ignorance that if your knee hits out of bounds or if your elbow hits out of bounds, the same exact instant your knee hits inbounds, well, it, it counts as out of bounds. Are you sure that's? The rule, I think it's like tie goes to the ruling on the field. Well, no, uh, Pereira said on the Fox broadcast, okay, okay. tie goes. I'm so sweat the CCU over, so I don't know. <laughs> tie goes to out of bounds, so it's not like baseball where tie goes the runner, or tie goes to you being inbounds, or tie goes to call in the field. It is tie is out of bounds. I, I felt like watching that on even the first look. You're like, that's an incomplete pass. Like he didn't, yeah. nothing was down. His arm was out of bounds. No big deal. Um, all right, let's 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 uh. Let's talk about Russell Wilson, because I know Patrick Mahomes is the MVP, um, but uh, Russell Wilson's in the discussion. He was effing unbelievable on Thursday night. This guy in primetime takes his game to a different level. 17 of 23 for 268 yards, 
four touchdowns, 158.1, uh, 151.8 passer rating, excuse me. Uh, Tyler Lockett, he's four of four. He is back having a perfect passer rating to Tyler Lockett, I think for like the last, uh, 16 games or something like that. Uh, found DK Metcalf on a 40 yard touchdown that was an absolute beauty on play action. Uh, then Will Disley caught four balls for 81 yards. Teron Brown had 36 yards. Chris Carson ran his ass off. 27 carries for 118 yards. He was finding extra yards out there. I thought, um, I thought Rashad Penny was pretty good in the receiving game as well as the, you know, decent in the running game. Six, six carries for 18 yards. This Seahawks offense is going to have to carry this team because the Seahawks defense isn't very good. And I think that Breach Russell Wilson is a legitimate MVP candidate. Oh, absolutely. I think when you look at, I, I, if anybody were to argue MVP right now, I think the only two people in the conversation are Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. And if you compare the talent Russell Wilson's playing with, which is almost zero compared to what Patrick Mahomes has, I mean, if you gave Russell Wilson Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and that offense, he would blow it up. And I think Patrick Mahomes could still do well in the Seahawks defense, but not as well as Russell Wilson does because you need that escapability that Wilson is is the only quarterback in the NFL that does it that well. I mean, there are quarters that can kind of escape out of the pocket once in a while, but the guy's a magician back there. And like Russell Wilson with Andy Reid would be insane, incredible. I mean, even if you just look across the sideline and you flip the two quarterbacks, you say, "What if Russell Wilson was on that Rams offense?" Like I would love to even just see that. Or yeah. And I think somebody tweeted out tonight that if you switch the teams, if Goff played for the Seahawks in this game and Russell Wilson played for the Rams, the Rams would have won 75 to 7. Because yeah. Goff would have been sacked 19 times. Russell Wilson would have thrown 12 touchdown passes in Sean McVay's offense. And Russell Wilson's just such a weapon that no other team has. It's, he's such a unique talent. And I, if I had to vote for MVP after this week, assuming Patrick Mahomes doesn't go out and throw six touchdown passes, against the Colts on Sunday night, which he might, I would probably give it to Russell Wilson. By the way, Russell Wilson already has 12 touchdowns, no interceptions this year. So he has been playing literally, you know, perfect. I, I, I got in an argument when, when Cam got, Cam Newton got hurt and he went out. I got in a Twitter argument with, I can't remember some jabroni came on there. It was like, it was like screaming about me about Russell Wilson's interception rate. And it's, it's frustrating because it's like, well, look, dude, I'm not trying to say that Cam Newton is as efficient. Like Russell Wilson might literally be the most efficient quarterback of all time when it comes to not committing turnovers and getting touchdown passes relative to the number of passes he's thrown in his career, his touchdown passes. It's insane. I mean, like, like what he's done over the course of his career, he doesn't throw the ball a ton. He will, if he has to, but like he doesn't turn the ball over. And he throws a piles of touchdowns. He also avoids a lot of sacks, as Breach was just noting. Like, if you put Goff back there, that every other quarterback would go down as a sack. And you mentioned yeah. he doesn't turn the ball over. His career-high interceptions in a season is 11. He's only done that twice. In his rookie right. year, he threw 10. Every other year is under 10. That's just unheard of, I feel like. I mean, his his career now is 208 touchdowns to 63 interceptions. That's absurd. Like that's ridiculous. Like he is, he is one of the all time 
best in terms of efficiency as it relates to scores and, and not throwing interceptions. And it was huge for him. You always wild too. Go ahead, Breach. Yeah, I was just going to say to put this in perspective, because last season is a good example. Russell Wilson threw 35 touchdown passes, which was third most in the NFL. He did that with 427 attempts. Matt Ryan also threw 40, 35 touchdown passes. It took him 608 attempts. So, I mean, Russell Wilson threw as many touchdown passes on almost 200 less passes. So it's just insane what he's able to do, even though they're Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll insist on running the ball uh, pretty much every other play. But And here's what Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer did as well on Thursday night that really doomed the Seahawks. And it could have been the reason why they lost if Zerline makes that field goal. Late in the first half, they have a fourth and one that they should absolutely go for. And instead, they attempt a field goal, and they miss it, and then the Rams come back down, and they score a touchdown to make it a one-point game uh, before, right before halftime. The Seahawks should 100% be going for that fourth and one, because the field goal wasn't short. Uh, I wish I had the uh, – here I have it. Um, let's see. Last year, uh, teams converted fourth and one outside of the red zone 77% of the time. Uh, and kickers made 23 of 33 kicks. Uh, at the opponent's 28, 69% of the time. So Pete Carroll actually took the lower percentage play to kick that field goal there, where statistically you have a better chance to pick up a fourth and one conversion. Um, by the way, Russell Wilson, I think this is an interesting potential backdoor. Uh, Drew Brees led the league last year with 74.4% completion, percent, percent completion percentage. I never, I never can write that down or say it correctly. It always it's like seventy percent of his passes, like completed seventy five percent of his yeah. passes, or seventy completion percent. Well, well, let me say real quick. I do think the Seahawks absolutely should have gone for that, but the analytics aren't that simple when it comes to field goal kickers, Sean, because Pete Carroll wouldn't care what other kickers did from twenty three or from that length, and those are twenty three from thirty three. He would care what Jason right. Myers has done, right. and Jason Myers is 94% over the past two years between 40 and 49 yards. So he's going to say, hey, I have a great shot at making this kick because this guy always comes through. So it's a little – it's more black and white with a kicker when you're looking at analytics like that. I, I but I that. do think I do think yeah. he should have gone for it, though. And it also, it felt like – it was very weird because I felt in the first half – and I was wrong. I said on uh, HQ at halftime I liked the under in the second half. That, would, that got blown out of the water. Um, it felt like more of a – it didn't feel like it was going to be a shootout in the first half. You know what I'm saying? Like there were longer possessions. The Rams settled for multiple field goals. You know, it was 14 to 13, I think, at half, right? I mean, like it, it could, you know, and the Rams got lucky getting that last touchdown. Uh, my point on Russell Wilson, now his completion percentage is over 73%. Five year, five weeks into the season, he has a legit, a legit chance to challenge Drew Brees for the record that Drew Brees set last year, the all time record, 74.4. It's not out of the question because of how efficient he is. Um, can this Seahawks defense get better? I don't think they can get worse. That's probably true. Well, I, think, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think they're going to get better. I think it, they're gelling. You know, it's they just threw Jadevian Clowney in there. I think it is a defense that will get better. I think you could look at just Pete Carroll's track record and being a defensive coach and that being a thing. Kind of how, like, Belichick defenses, obviously not this year, but in years past, kind of peaked at the end of the year. But – I mean, to your point, I don't think they have to get that much better for this team to be considered. I mean, I think they're already considered one of the favorites in the NFC in large part because the NFC to me doesn't look like there's one clear favorite. I think there's a lot of just 
good teams out there. And as long as the Seahawks have Russell Wilson healthy, I don't, I think it'd be difficult in a playoff game, especially if the Seahawks can win the division and get, you know, a, a home playoff game. I don't think anyone would pick against Russell Wilson in Seattle. Um, the, uh, who would you take right now to win the division? I mean, obviously the Seahawks have a leg up on the, the Rams by virtue of a head to head, but they have to go to LA and play a game too. And the 49ers are undefeated with <laughs> the game. That's, that's the funny part is I feel like everyone talking about this game throughout the entire week just wanted to be like, Oh, it's for first place in the NFC West. Like no one wants to like remember yeah. that the 49ers are sitting there at three. I was, I was saying, would you take the 49ers or the Seahawks right now? And you could take the Rams too if you wanted. I would take the Seahawks. I would also take the Seahawks, even though the 49ers, I mean, they could take control divisions. They play Monday night against the Browns and then they play the Rams after that and they win those two games. All of a sudden you're just kind of in the driver's seat. So, I, I mean, I would go Seahawks. Wait, aren't they currently in control of the division? Well, I don't think they're in the driver's seat right now because they haven't played Seattle or L.A., but once they beat one of those teams, then I would think they are. right? Because like, right now I still Three think – 3-0 you... is better than 4-1. and one. Right, but I I am saying they're not in the driver's seat till they beat one of those two teams because, to me, I don't think they're better than them. Just you could be 3-0 because you played three easier games. I will say this. I wouldn't um... – I thought so. I, I bet on the Seahawks on the money line. Whew. Ooh, that was a good one, Brinson. Yeah, if I'd taken the points, I would be uh, Muli uh, Mallow right now, as they like to say in very accurate Spanish. Um, so the Seahawks have—they're at the Browns, Ravens, at Falcons, Buccaneers, and then at Forty Niners on on a Monday night. Hello, before they're by. Um, the Rams, on the other hand, have the 49ers at Falcons and Bengals before their bye. So, like, even though the Rams lost, I don't think they're in bad shape. But after the break, we'll discuss whether or not Jared Goff is a problem. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, The designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What a great teaser. Too bad I used that teaser on a podcast instead of a radio. Like, nobody cares about a teaser on a podcast. Like, if you're listening 15 minutes of a podcast, you're going to just listen to the, like, two minutes of ads. It's not like you have to hold them, hold somebody on the radio dial. Anyway, Sean, is Jared Goff a pro, a good thing or a problem for the Rams right now? Cause I thought he was pretty good on Thursday. So I thought he was pretty good. Uh, um, second, second, sorry, sorry, sorry. I actually thought he was just good, period, outside of the first quarter. Yeah. I don't think I learned a whole lot about him, though, because I think if you look at that first quarter, it was the problems we already knew about. The Rams were getting beat up front, um, and when he can't step into his throws and when he feels someone bearing down on him, he, he his accuracy kind of goes out the window. And then what we kind of saw there in the second quarter 
into this going into the third is the Rams got into a rhythm. Sean McVay got into a really good rhythm. They were doing a lot of deep drops with play action, and it really started on that series that actually ended with a fumble in the red zone, um, kind of midway through the second quarter where Todd Gurley fumbled. And that's when you really felt something change. It, it looked a lot like the Rams offense the last two years. So I think it shows that they're still capable of that if they can protect him. Now, the question is, can the offensive line continue to protect him? That that I'm still not sure. They've got a lot of old bodies up there. Who knows how Andrew Whitworth, who already has been great, I would point out to start the season, who knows how he's going to hold up down the stretch of the season. Uh, So that's my concern with them. I don't think we learned anything about Jared Goff. I think he can be a very good quarterback in this system when he gets protection. When he doesn't get protection, he looks like just another system quarterback out there. So I don't think we learned anything about him. I, I do think that their biggest, his biggest misses were probably in the first quarter because they got, they recovered that fumble right away to start the game. They blew it, didn't move the ball at all. They went three and out, kicked the field goal, even though they started the possession at the 33 yard line. Uh, and then they started again with pretty good field position, drove straight down into the red zone. And then as soon as they got in the red zone, failure, 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 golfing complete, kick another field goal. And if they could have just punched one of those in the end zone, then, you know, that changes the complexion of the game. And here is my one and only fun fact of the podcast. The first three quarters of the game, Jared Goff was 0 for 5 on third downs. In the fourth quarter, he was 4 of 6 for 75 yards. And kind of as Sean said, so he completely, he he just turned into clutch. And we saw that right before halftime, the drive that Sean mentioned. But besides that drive, he did nothing in the first three quarters. He was just inefficient. And then it was like all of a sudden McVay flicked to switch him or switch the play calling or just get, I mean, he started going to Cooper Cup more. Uh, but Goff looked like a different quarterback in the fourth quarter. By the way, the Rams starting slow offensively has been a theme dating back to last year's postseason. Uh, they've had this so far this season, they've scored 12 points in the first quarter. They've All field goals, no touchdowns. Really? 12 points? Yes. Well, and six of them, and six of them came on Thursday night. Uh, were they leading it after the first quarter tonight on, on Thursday night? It was either seven six or six nothing. The Seahawks. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, they, they were they were losing. Well, we were doing we were, we were doing um uh sports line today on, on Thursday night, and Kenny White. Yeah, they were down at yeah. Kenny White was like, I want to take the Rams plus a half a point. So I was just curious about that. And so the Rams haven't scored a first quarter touchdown since week seventeen of last year. So this has been a ongoing issue. Because they didn't do it once in the playoffs, and they haven't done it so far this season. Sure. Uh, I do want to – Breach mentioned Goff's efficiency in the fourth quarter. I kind of want to point something out, whereas the Seahawks at the end of that game defensively completely botched it. Because they putted the ball back back to the Rams with like a minute 20 left, and the Rams had the ball at their own eight-yard line. And the Seahawks were only up you know, by a point, so a Rams field goal wins the game for them. It felt as if – and the Rams had no timeouts. It felt as if the Seahawks – thought they were playing as if a touchdown is what the Rams needed to do to beat them because they were playing off by 10 yards. And not only were they allowing Robert Woods and Cooper Cup to catch these eight-yard passes, they were giving them so much space that they kept on getting out of bounds every single time. It was crazy, man. Like, that was bad defense. Because, again, I had the Seahawks money line. I was like, what are you doing? Put some pressure on him. Blitz him. Double Cooper Cup. Do something. It was a very bad defensive strategy by the Seahawks that allowed I mean like that field goal should have been made. Like the Rams should be celebrating right now. And I like I don't think I mean look this is a this is football in a nutshell, okay? I mean 
these are tight divisional games between two teams with similar attributes, good head coaches, good quarterbacks. It's going to come down to a bunch of random bounces and right. don't like, that, that happens. And I mean, the like, Rams could have easily won that game. Like that, you mentioned the field goal, and then you talk about the Tyler Lockett touchdown in the first quarter. Well, about, according about, to, according to next gen, according to next gen stats, at a six point three percent chance of being completed, it is the most improbable completion of the last two seasons. So I mean, that's what I said earlier. It comes down to these little bounces, these you know, these superhuman Dude. plays that if you ask them to do it again, they wouldn't be able to replicate it. It looked like it looked like Russell was throwing that away. He it looked. He's like, ah, he's throwing it. Not throwing it away, but like, uh, I'm gonna throw it in the in the vicinity. But there's no way that's gonna be caught. And then tiny receiver catches tiny pass from tiny quarterback in tiny piece of the end zone. It was insane. Um, how about like the Chris Carson touchdown on fourth down at the end? Russell hits him, and he's like, huh? And it pops up in the air. And like, if a defender come flying at him and just tackled him, the Seahawks lose the game. I, I don't know. I literally gasped on both of those touchdowns, and I probably only gasped on one touchdown a month, and it happened two times in this game on both of those. I mean, those were absolutely insane. And the other thing the Seahawks did that was kind of insane because it was the Seahawks is there were a couple times tonight where they were they went five wide. I didn't even know Brian Schottenheimer knew that formation existed, and they had success with it. They were just uh, – somebody would turn around, Wilson would throw them a short pass, and they would gain like five to seven yards, and it felt like they could have literally run that formation the entire game and just marched up and down the field. But, of course, as the Seahawks, something works. They stopped using it because they have to go back to the run eventually no matter what. Uh, but it was pretty interesting to see them break that out just enough so the other teams were like, oh, crap, the Seahawks are running that, and they're gonna, it's something they're going to have to pay attention to. Uh, down the road. I don't have a problem with this, how the Seahawks approach this game offensively. I thought they were, I mean, they were a little tight on the final drive. Brenton, right? did you not see that third and two play? Was that the pitch? In the fourth quarter. <laughs> the pitch? Where if you get a first down, the game's over, but instead you run, you lose 10 yards because you run a, a pitch to your receiver. Breach, did you not hear what I just said? I didn't mind what they did except for the final drive. Yeah, yeah. I thought no, that play was stupid, and Russ should have held the ball and dove for it. He would have, and then it's like fourth and one, you go for it and get it. I, Do we have any confidence I, the Seahawks actually would have went for that? I have zero confidence. I wanted more hate. That. In your, I wanted more hate in your voice. Like I had, I it mean, was I all just, good till the final drive. I mean, I just don't think that the Seahawks had a. I mean, they had all right. So their drives, they had uh, four punts, four touchdowns, a fumble on the first drive by Jerron Brown, a missed field goal. And then another field goal. Like they were, I mean, they punted with it. I just felt like the Seahawks, I, I think the Seahawks offense, okay, one of two things is true. Either the Seahawks offense is really good or the Rams defense sucks. And well, I, I was going to, I was going to bring that up. The, you asked me how concerned we this, were about the Seahawks by the way, defense. This is, this is why you take the Saints on Sunday because the, the, the Rams aren't good on defense and Jameis is going to get blitzkrieg by the Saints. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. This, you were talking about, do we think the Seahawks defense can get better? I think the question is, can the Rams defense get better? Because I think it needs to, because I don't know. This sounds crazy to say, you know, if you said this a year ago, you think we're crazy. Because I don't know if the Rams offense is good enough to overcome a bad defense. And that defense looks terrible. We talked about that Chris Carson touchdown where he juggles it. The only reason he has time to play hot potato with it is because there's not a defender within 10 yards of him. If there's a defender within 5 yards of him, it's an incompletion. So I think the the Rams secondary in particular look. We know Aaron Donald's great, and this is a tough matchup for defensive front because even when they generate pressure, you know, Dante Fowler got there a couple times. 
Wilson, you know, he's Houdini back there. So he, he just, he negates that pressure. He takes off and he scrambles for 10 yards, even when you're getting pressure. The secondary and those corners, man, what happened to them? I mean, Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib used to be really good. I mean, they look terrible out there. And look, we know Marcus Peters was terrible all of last season too. So that's my biggest concern in, in LA. It's not Jared Goff. It's if that defense can just be good or decent because right now they don't look it. I will say this. I, and I said this before the game and I thought Tyler Lockett would have a huge game and I was spot on. Um, the, the, well, well, just, yeah, that's toot my horn. Um, you don't get anywhere in this business field, toot your horn. Um, I, I think that Tyler Lockett and these, these receivers for the Seahawks are a bad matchup for the, for the, uh, for the, for the Rams quarterbacks. My counterpoint that to it was like Mike Evans is a good matchup for him and they just got torched by the Bucks. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, they are getting older. Maybe they're not that good. If the Rams offense, so was Talib, yeah, Akeem Talib's 33. I mean, like we're talking old guys. I mean, Marcus Peters, he's young, but I mean, he's a risk it biscuit type of, type of cornerback. Breach. Was Todd Gurley good tonight? Cause Pete Prisco is Pete. <sighs> Is like doing a little like chunky peacock thing where he's like a chunky tan peacock thing where he's like sawing around like, ah, I told you girly was going to have a squeaky wheel game. <laughs> it's like, Hey bro, I got bad news for you. Yeah. He had two touchdowns. Congratulations. One was wide open. The other was from one yard. He had 15 carries for 51 yards. He did that. Was he good? Was he good? I see here's I'm mixed on this because I feel like. After all this talk, and Gurley had that awkward press conference this week where he was kind of like, oh, it's up to McVeigh about what they do or why I'm not being used. But look, and I feel like McVeigh took that as we need to get this guy involved before he's disgruntled and turns into a Stefan Diggs situation. Here's the thing is they absolutely did that. Gurley came out. He had more carries in the first nine minutes of this game than he had in the entire game against the Buccaneers. He only carried the ball five times against Tampa Bay, but of course he put up huge fantasy numbers because he scored two touchdowns in that game. And in this game, he had six carries before the end of the first quarter. So they were really trying to get him going, but really I saw two or three good runs out of 15 runs, which is not a good percentage for a guy, the highest paid running back in the NFL, or a guy that is, is supposed to be your workhorse. Uh, so... Did he have a couple okay runs? Yes. Do I think this is a guy they they can revolve around their offense? I don't think it is right now. I think they're still afraid of him giving him too many carries, overworking him, uh, having what happened last season where he just can't play at the end because he's so beat up. So, yes, a couple good carries, but no, I do not think it, overall it was not a good game for Gurley. Looking at his next-gen stat chart, I mean, he basically had the one 12-yard touchdown run. One long run to the outside. The touch, the one of the touchdowns was a, a single yard plunge. And it shouldn't and, even have been his because Gerald how, how Everett long, definitely got in the end zone on the play. By, by the way, is, is Gerald Everett breaking out? How wait, how long was that run to the outside, Brinson? Um, I don't know because I'm looking at a big squiggly green line. Okay, so I think it was Far. nine yards. So he basically had two carries for 21 yards, and then three carry or 13 carries for 30 yards. If like if you break it down, I would. To, what he did with his other carries. I would, if and I caught three passes for six yards. So he's completely a non-factor in the passing. He game. has been a non-factor in the passing game all season. This is a prime sell high time for Todd Gurley. If you own him in fantasy and he fumbled, he had a, a, a very important fumble. I mean, it really yeah. cost because the Rams were down Seahawks territory yeah. and he hadn't fumbled since week three in 2018. It's a good stat. 
Fun fact. <laughs> he looked really excited. I wish we were on video because Breach just looked really excited when he remembered that stat. Uh, my buddy, my buddy Ryan Lindsay, who uh, listens to the podcast and lives in Raleigh, texted me and said that we should have, uh, we should get shirts and say Pick Six Podcast. And then on the back it says, Fun fact, the only daily NFL podcast. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a, a good idea. idea. That's a fun fact. Yeah. Does your shirt show up, Sean? Uh, I haven't checked the mail today, but not yet. I'm okay. getting a little worried. Well, I mean, if it doesn't, I'll check my wife's car in case she didn't mail it. <laughs> of course it wasn't I mean, you. I was yeah, I was <laughs> We're getting these shirts made. This is – next time uh, it's being done. We're not going to let – we're not going to – if we give this job to Brinson, he's going to wally gag. It won't get done until next year. So I think we should put Sean in charge. You know, mm-hmm. we haven't – You can get the shirts made, Sean. What's that? You get you get the shirts made, then we'll just Wait, have did Breach just dump a, an extra job onto my yeah. plate? Thanks, Breach. If you could edit the podcast and publish it, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> what what I'm surprised, Brinson, you haven't brought up from this game is there was a pass interference review and you haven't shared your your takes I, on it. You know what it is? They're both terrible. Yes. Talent. I don't understand why coaches are doing this. You know what they're gonna do. The the Brandon Cooks one? Where Brandon Cooks got hurt, did, did, did they say it was a concussion or a shoulder? He was being evaluated. I don't know if he, yeah. I mean, in a, well, obviously you would rather have a shoulder injury than a head injury, I guess. Yes. In terms I mean, of like humans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, in terms of your life, uh, in terms of playing football this year, you would probably prefer, uh, right. That's the best thing. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Cooks clearly extended his full arm. It was offensive pass interference. He got open. And, uh, Pete Carroll did the right thing in terms of challenging it in a vacuum. Like, you, he challenged it correctly and it should have been overturned, but stop challenging it. They're not going to overturn it. They're just not going to do it for the love of God. Stop challenging. And then didn't Sean McVay have one too? Oh, he challenged that Robert Woods touchdown. That was worse. Which live didn't even look. Worse than Pete Carroll's challenge. What are you doing? McVay or something? How is it 2019 and teams don't have someone, I mean, they have to, who's just watching on TV in the booth and then With a it's, headset. Not, it's yeah. not even in the coach's hands. It's in that guy's hands. Like there's a designated guy watching TV who's the challenger. It's How is insane. that not a thing? It's insane. I know. So I mean, like, but also, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a football stadium. There's a giant jumbotron. <laughs> How, like, when you look at it, you're like, oh. Yeah, it might be close. I'm gonna be- yeah, but I will say in the coach's defense, some places won't show the replays if it goes against their team, the home team. And then you have to be like, oh, why aren't they showing the play on the Jumbotron? See, that's uh, why you need someone sitting As Zebra pointed out, this got Twitter hot and bothered. McVay didn't even, didn't even throw his own challenge flag. He's too good for <laughs> He's, He's got a pushback guy. I'm not surprised. The get-back guy is, uh, the get-back guy, like, is unbelievable. Once you see the get-back guy video, now you, like, notice him all over the place. Like, he's sprinting around. That guy works harder than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Um, okay. Anything else from this game? Uh, I will say real quick on Zerline, he's been iffy in the 40 yard range this year. Both his misses, he was tw- 10 to 12 coming into this game, missed from 41 and 48. Now we can chalk up a 44 yarder. And it's not like his percentages are bad. He's now 13 to 16 on the season, which is 81.25%. But I mean, and we saw in the Super Bowl last year, he had a 48 yarder that would have cut it to one score and at least given the Rams a chance to kick an onside kick and maybe get another possession. And he missed that thing by like 10 yards. 
uh, one of the worst shanks I've ever seen in a Super Bowl. So it's a little thing that I would be at least mildly concerned about from the Rams. Not that he, they need, he does not need to be replaced at all. Uh, but I would be mildly concerned. And if that happens again in the next couple weeks and he keeps missing kicks, then, uh, that's when red alert and maybe you think about replacing him. I think the next three weeks are pretty big for the Rams. Uh, I don't want to oversell a loss that makes you fall to three and two because they can shrug it off pretty quickly and they're a very good team, but they're the 49ers at home next week. They're at the Falcons the following week after that, and then the Bengals at home the week after that. I, I, I mean, I would expect they'll probably go two and one in, the, in those games, but you know who knows? Weird things can happen. After their bye, they are at Steelers, Bears at home, Ravens at home, at Cardinals, Seahawks at home, at Cowboys, at 49ers, and close with the Cardinals. Now the Cardinals stink, so give them two of those. But that's a pretty tough schedule. Other than that, so I think I think these next three weeks, like if you're the Rams, you really don't want to go one and two. And all of a sudden you're four and four heading into that bye and looking way up at the Seahawks potentially and the 49ers. Yeah. And I think they absolutely need to win these next three. And you mentioned the Bengals game and I'm not just bringing it up because it's the Bengals, but that game is in London. So they oh. go from Atlanta to London to Pittsburgh and that maybe the competition isn't rough for three games, but that kind of travel can take a toll on you. Oh, so the NFL actually gave them a game on the East coast. Yes. Before they fly to London. That kind of sucks though. Like, I mean, nobody wants to go from LA to London, but to go from like, I'd rather just have a home game and then fly to London. Yeah. And just like pack up your bags and take a long flight as opposed to like playing in Atlanta, dealing with all of that. And then, yeah, that's a, that's a thing, man. Um, anything else from you, Sean? Hey, but you know what? Oh, I was, I'll throw out one more. Will Disley is good. Well, so I had two things. This was a felt like fantasy wise a tight end breakout game. We already mentioned Gerald Everett. Yep. He had seven catches, 136 yards. Should have had 137 yards and one touchdown. Um, if they review that play, you also let me, had. Let me ask you this. I got a very specific question. I just want to get your thoughts on it now before I forget. Uh, cause I will forget. So let's say you have a team. Uh, you have a dynasty team that has Vance McDonald, Trey Burton and Hunter Henry as your tight ends. You're in a I bad spot. Vance McDonald. Well, or I would trade, have, I'll trade, or trade your, or, yeah, but, or I, but you also have the number one waiver claim. Would you use that claim on Gerald Everett? I think I would. Yeah, and I would like to see the personnel groupings, but it felt like the Rams were using 13 personnel, three tight ends a lot in this game and throwing I, out of it a lot. I, I agree, and I think that that might be their ultimate answer to people are are – so the Rams did outside zone forever. People started dropping, sit, walking six up to the line and saying, we're going to just stack the box. You're not going to run outside zone. And then you're not going to have your play action stuff off of it. So I think their answer is going to be the 13 personnel tight ends with Everett and Higby. And they're going to have to pass out of that. And I actually do think that's why we might, I wouldn't sell the Rams completely short yet because if they get that going, they have enough for, in terms of cooks, woods, but Cooper cups, a number one wide receiver. He's a stud. He's just always open. He tore he tore his ACL like ten months ago. I mean, is and, it possible and for a second, well, I was going to say for a second, it looked like he uh, had done something to his knee again. Yeah. He got banged up in the, early in the game and then had to leave for a couple plays. Is it possible the Rams have the best three receivers in the league? Am I forgetting about a team? Uh, no, I think it's very possible. Unless you want to count the Bengals. Are we, are we counting AJ Green? Is AJ Green healthy or not healthy? John Ross isn't healthy either. Um, 
I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I would say I would take the Falcons receivers in a different. If you have Julio Jones, Muhammad Sanu, and Calvin Ridley. The all the the Rams are better. Like Julio drags the Falcons right. up. They're the deeper. Rams, the Rams are better as a whole, probably. And so the uh, the last thing I was going to say is that uh, Jadavian Clowney trade looks good. And I I know it's only one game, but last week he had a pick six. This week he's the one who created that Todd Gurley fumble, and he was the one who recovered it as well. And that saves at least three points, probably seven, and they win by one. Yep. No, that's a great point. Um, so you would use that number one waiver claim on Gerald Everett, right? You don't have to tell me who else is sitting there, but I wouldn't it's, be able to do it. It is dead out there. Yeah, because it's it's tight end. I mean, we were talking I, about I, I'm I, in a free agent auction budget in the keeper league, and I spent half my budget on Hawkinson after week one because if the potential, if you can get an impact guy at tight end, it's worth it. Yeah, and I, I but to the Rams' point, I think that's going to be their answer: is we can't run like we're gonna we're gonna have two tight ends out there at all times. Two tight ends, two wide receivers, and we're going to run but be able to throw out of that. And I almost wonder if it's taking them a little while to acclimate to that as well as the changes on the offensive line. So don't sell the Rams short, but the Seahawks are pretty good, unless you're talking about defense. All right, let's get out of here. You guys good? The Rams have given up 85 points in the past two weeks. That's that's Dolphin-level suck. Maybe, you know what? Maybe it's time to buy Jared Goff in fantasy. People are kind of poo-pooing him. Yeah, and his his stat line would have been a lot better because that interception was not his fault. That bounced off Gerald Everett's hands, and it was a miraculous catch. And if Gerald Everett scores that touchdown instead of Todd Gurley, maybe it's time to buy Jared Goff. Mm. And and real quick, Brinson, complaints about penalties. The Clay Matthews roughing the passer I thought was a bad call, but I feel like the evener, the equalizer there is that – Jerg, the equalizer, <laughs> the evener. Is the evener a word? Can we put that on the Pick 6 t-shirt? Fun fact, evener is a word. Uh, the equalizer is that the Rams got away with a false start on a golf 30-yard pass to Gerald Everett that set up a touchdown in the third quarter. So I thought there were a couple egregiously bad officiating moves for both sides. All right, that's it for us. Thank you for listening. Thanks for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Uh, you guys are the best. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.